Good morning again. We are going to be in John chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. Now, there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, an Aramaic called Bethsaida, which had five roofed columns. In these laid a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool where the water is stirring up. And while I am going another step down before me, Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man, said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man? who said to you, take up your bed and walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn. As there was a crowd in the place, afterwards Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered him, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father rises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, An hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given himself authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tomb will hear his voice and come out. Those who, have gone, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, 
but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so they may be saved. He was a burning and a shining lamp, and you are willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bearing witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is that they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I did not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of my God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writing, how will you believe my words? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather here freely, Lord, to learn about you, to better understand your word, Lord God. We ask that you meet us here today in this place. Lord, open up our hearts, open up our ears, and open up our minds, Lord God, so that your word will be just planted in good, fertile soil, Lord God. And, and may we not just be hearers, but also doers of your word as well, Lord God. I pray that you just anoint Pastor Jackie just once again this morning, and may your message be heard. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been working our way through John chapter 5. This is called the Discourse of the Divine Son. It's uh, the third discourse in the Gospel of John. Gospel of John's built around seven. So uh, each one, we remind ourselves, right, that John placed the things we're studying in the Gospel of John here that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and believing you would have life in his name. So there's a specific purpose behind the stories that that John lays out for us. Now, we saw, right, that Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath day. We saw the, the charge of the religious people, right? Like, why, why are you healing on the Sabbath day? This, this is not okay. And we see Jesus' response. It's important. My father is working, so I am working. My father is working, so I am working. And they told us, right, in, in uh, verse 18, that all the more they sought to kill him because he was making himself equal with God. They understood what he was saying. They understood the things that he was laying out. When we look at this discourse, it's divided into three parts. The first part is like father, like son. So we discussed that last week. Uh, the unity between father and son. 
that Jesus does only those things that he sees the Father doing. The second part is Jesus as judge, which is defining for us or illuminating for us the title, the Son of Man. And then the third part is the witness or testimony that establishes the things that Jesus is saying. Is this just an open assertion in the middle of the parking lot, or is there something that backs up the claims that Jesus is laying out? So we'll see those today. So we talked about that first one, like father, like son. We started to talk about the concept of Jesus as the son of man. So we'll just back up quickly and review in verse 25. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And we talked about the idea, right, in Ephesians chapter 2, that we are dead in our trespasses and sin and he, Jesus Christ, has made us alive, right? The whole act of being born again is being taken from death to life. But we also know that Jesus, as he was moving, as he was uh, doing the miracles that he was doing and ministering in that place, he was raising the dead, right? He was raising the dead through the miracles that he did. Now, I think what he's illuminating here is the miracle of regeneration, which takes us back to discourse number two, right? Remember discourse number two, Nick at night? When Nicodemus came to him and he said, all the things you've done, Nick, are, are great, but you must be born again. And you're born from above, not from below. The idea is that this is an act. This is something that God does in you. This is the fulfillment of Ezekiel when he gives you a, a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. This is the fulfillment of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31. So he's saying this time is here. And he, he illuminates further in verse 26. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. Again, we have like father, like son. Life. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. That's what it said in John 1, 4, right? Jesus Christ is light. Jesus Christ is life. Which, by the way, just so you're aware are both attributes that are ascribed to Yahweh, to Almighty God. So as we go on, then he says, and he has given him authority, the Father has given the Son authority to execute judgment. And he defines why. Why, why, why did the Father give you the, the right of judgment, to execute judgment? He says in the very next phrase, because he is what? The Son of Man. Because he is the son of man. Now that immediately takes us to Daniel chapter 7, right? Daniel chapter 7, Daniel says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the son of man. And he came to the ancient of days. This is the ascension, if you will, the, the return of Jesus Christ to the Father, the fulfillment of what Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 when he said, Father, glorify me with the glory which we had together before the world began. And so we have the Son of Man coming to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, the Son of Man, was given dominion, sovereignty. To him was given glory, glory. 
To him was given a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 8 says that what? He was exalted, that, above, that his name is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, how many knees will bow? Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, which glorifies whom? The Father. Because like Father, like Son. So he's laying out this idea that who the Son of Man is. His kingdom or his dominion is an everlasting dominion. So the sovereignty of Christ is everlasting, eternal. It shall not pass away, and his kingdom shall never be destroyed. That goes back to the vision, right? The vision of, of uh, Nebuchadnezzar when he saw all the kingdoms of men. And what was the one thing they all had in common? Every kingdom was destroyed by the next kingdom. Every kingdom is destroyed. Every kingdom is destroyed. Every kingdom is destroyed in the vision until a stone comes from the heavens, smites a statue in the feet. It is utterly destroyed. All the kingdoms of men become powder and that stone grows into a mountain that fills the whole earth. It's a symbol of the kingdom of God which will never pass away. So Jesus is saying, look, he wants him to understand. I have authority to execute judgment because I am the son of man. I'm the guy Daniel saw rising up to the father, which is a picture of what happens at the ascension. What is it that the father does? Scripture goes on to tell us the father says to the son, sit here on my throne until I make your enemies your footstool. Stay here until it's time for the return of the king. And when the king returns, you have Matthew, right? Matthew lays out for it. Matthew chapter 25, the division of the sheep and the goats, who, which is a judgment, right? Those who will enter into the kingdom and those who are denied entrance into the kingdom. Who makes that judgment? The son of man. Listen, Jesus does some interesting things, and we alluded to it last time, and I unfortunately can't spend too much time on it, but I'm going to spend a little bit. When Jesus is standing before Pilate, and he's being judged, right? We're going to move forward on the timeline to that point. The high priest is going to ask Jesus a question. In Mark chapter 14, we read about it. In verse 61, it says, And he, Jesus, remained silent, made no answer. So the high priest asked him, are you the Christ? Are you the Mashiach? Are you the Messiah? The Son of the Blessed, which is the Son of God, the final world ruler, the one who is going to usher in the kingdom of which there is no end. This is what the high priest is asking Jesus. And Jesus said, Ego I me. I am. Where in the Bible did Jesus ever make these claims? I, it drives me crazy when people say that. Are you kidding me? Read it. It's all over the place in the Bible. He says, I am. I am the Christ, the Son of God, the Son of the Blessed. I am he. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. Daniel chapter 7, remember? Son of Man, sit here till I make your enemies your footstool. That's a quote out of the Psalms. Um, and so when we look at the, the idea, he's saying, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power 
as judge and coming on the clouds of heaven. What is Jesus saying to the high priest who is asking him who he is right prior to his crucifixion? Jesus is saying, right now you're judging me, but you will be judged by me. I will be seated at the right hand of the Father. I am the judge. I am not only the Son of God, but the Son of Man, which are both proclamations of the Messiah, which both point to Jesus Christ as the divine Son. So as he's laying this out, Luke 21, he does it again. In Luke chapter 21, he says, uh, this is uh, uh, looking at the Olivet Discourse. This is what a lot of people look at our world today and say, man, this sounds a lot like what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 24, Luke 21. He says, and there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on earth distress of nations. Interesting, that word nations is ethnos. It, it's, it's a nation divided by ethnicity means people are going to have distress based on what race they are. Uh, that seems kind of funny, no? Uh, they're going to have distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. Now, this is a description of, of the powers of chaos. It's like these things are happening and people are going to be looking around like, where did all this chaos come from? What's going on? People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. <clears throat> For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. The Lord is saying the world is going to be in chaos. There's going to be all this stuff going on and then the Son of Man will come. When the Son of Man comes, what's he come to do? He's come to judge Read Revelation uh, chapter 19. What happens when the Son of Man returns? There's a battle. It's called the Battle of Armageddon, Megiddo. Judgment. Jesus Christ returned. Matthew 24, 30 says the same thing. Then they will appear in heaven, the sign, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. What's the sign of the Son of Man? The Son of Man coming back. What's he coming back to do? To judge. Because the father said, sit here until I make the earth your footstool. Until all the kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. That's what Revelation declares to us. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Jesus is saying, listen, as the Son of Man, I am the judge. I am the judge. Uh, they're judging him, right, about what can be done on the Sabbath. He's going to tell them, look, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the master of the Sabbath. I'm the one you come to to find out what you can do on the Sabbath. That's what Jesus is declaring. I am the judge. He says in verse 28, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. All will hear his voice and come out. Revelation chapter 20 discusses this. The great white throne judgment. When death and Hades give up the dead. And all stand before the great white throne. He says there will be a resurrection. Those who have done good. What does it mean to have done good? Good. 
Literally, it means those having done the good. That's what it says in Greek. Those having done the good. Not those who have done good things. That's how we tend to think of things, right? If my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then I'm resurrection of life. If my bad deeds outweigh my good deeds, I'm resurrection of death. I'm in trouble. So hopefully my good outweighs my bad. That's how we tend to think of it. But what he's talking about is those who have done the good. Jesus is asked, good teacher, what must I do to do the work of God? And Jesus said, believe in him whom the Father has sent. That's how you do the good. The good is putting your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ. Those having done the good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil, literally the ones who are constantly practicing evil. Just one or the other. Either you have committed yourself to Christ and you are covered by his righteousness, which then makes you a just man made perfect before God, or you are practicing evil. Two categories. One, resurrection of life. The other, the resurrection of judgment. To stand before the Lord on that day. Revelation 20 verse 4 says, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Resurrection to life, the resurrection to death, the second death. Scripture tells us that is being cast into what the Bible calls the lake of fire, which was created for the devil and his angels. Wasn't made for man, was made for them. But if man rebels against God, if man says no, that is where man will go. So Jesus, in this second middle part of the, of the discourse about the divine son, what's the role of the divine son? He's the son of God, the last ruler of the world, bringing in, ushering in the last kingdom of the world. That's him, Messiah. He's the son of man. He's the judge, the one who will judge the quick and the dead. You've heard that phrase before, right? Which means the living and the dead. He's going to be that judge. And that there will be two resurrections, a resurrection to life and a resurrection to death. So as he lays these things out for the people, you can imagine that these are shocking things to say, right? You don't usually, when you sit down for coffee, have this kind of conversation with somebody, do you? Which reminds me, by the way, uh, Monday morning coffee is going to kick off again, but we're going to meet here. So if, while you listen to this sermon, you said, oh my Lord, Jackie, I need to straighten you out. The perfect opportunity will be tomorrow morning at 7, right over there in the foyer. Just come on in, and we will sit down and discuss whatever is on your mind. But probably what we're not going to say is that I'm the Son of God and the Son of Man. Those are kind of the kind of things only one person gets to say, Right? Jesus proclaiming his 
divinity. I am the divine son. I am the judge. I am the king. And he's going to show them that he is their savior. Because he also is the only way to enter into that kingdom, right? He's the only way. He's the only door. He's the only source. He is all of those things. So as we continue, he goes on now in verse 30. He says, I can do nothing on my own. I can do nothing on my own. This is a statement about the unity within the Godhead. Listen, here's what we have to understand. There's a doctrine called the doctrine of the harmony of God. And the doctrine of the harmony of God states that the Son is not trying to accomplish something while the Father is trying to accomplish something else. You would have two perfect beings trying to do two different things in opposition. It can't happen. It only occurs through unity. In other words, man is only saved because the Father and the Son agree. Right? The Father and the Son are both accomplishing the same purpose. Jesus isn't saying, look, I'm not, I'm not solo. This is why the concept of the Trinity is not tritheism. Tritheism is three gods. He, Jesus says, I'm not three gods, I'm one Yahweh. But one Yahweh is made up of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, which are completely unified. I can do nothing of myself. There's no division in the Godhead. There's no division in Yahweh. Yahweh is one. Theologically, it's called the simplicity of God. He can't be divided into parts. If all of this confuses you, I'm sorry. I would love to unconfuse you. Feel free to hit me up anytime because I don't feel confused about it, but I may confuse you while I'm trying not to confuse you. If you want to have a little fun with it, on Monday, there's going to be a upload of the Bearded Biker Bible Man as Jason and I sit with dog collars on with a judge who decides whether or not we are committing a logical fallacy. I don't know why that became the thing, but it did. And so if we do something wrong while we're discussing the Trinity, we get shocked. <laughs> And I thought that was such a good way to work out doctrine that we could do that together with you anytime. <laughs> if you wanna, if you wanna check out, uh, I, to be honest, I didn't think the shocks were all that bad. You should see Jason whine about it. <laughs> Anyways, if you guys tune into that, we're, we discuss it. But here's the deal: there are there is very specific language. I just want you to understand this very specific language to describe Yahweh. That language in the definition of the triune God is taken from Scripture, the way Scripture describes him. And then by how Scripture describes him, we build this definition. Because we're trying to describe a transcendent being who's not like any of us, whom we can't relate to except if he shows us who he is. So we're, and we follow a prescribed definition because it keeps us from committing error. It keeps us from ascribing to God something that's not true. We don't want to do that, right? 
So we're just trying to take the whole counsel of God, what God says about himself, and we're trying to describe that. Here, Jesus, when he says, I can do nothing on my own, he's saying, we are all unified. There's no, there's no solo, you know, the son doesn't take off and do something the father's not okay with. In our world, that, that doesn't work that way, right? When we have sons, do they, do they do things we're not okay with? Yeah, for sure. So here, that's what Jesus wants to say. I can do nothing on my own. He says, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me here. Now this is why we describe the Father, the Son, and the Spirit as persons, as a personhood, as a subsistence under the, uh, under the substance of God. Whatever words will make you happy, but a a person has feelings. The, the word of God describes him as having a will, right? Of rejoicing, of being grieved. All of these things are things we can relate to because we understand that emotion. So we describe that by ascribing person to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I get it. Sometimes that melts your noodle. I'm sorry that it melts your noodle, but all I want you to know is if we go outside of that and we start describing him as a force, we would say a force doesn't have feelings, right? Doesn't have, does heat have feelings? No. Does energy have feelings? No. Does God describe himself as having feelings? He does. So, we're, all, we're limited by our language, okay? If you want to create a new language and a new word and deliver it to me, whoo, I'll use it. But until then, I got to use the language we got. So he's, Jesus is saying, look, my judgment is just. Why? Because as I hear, I judge. The, the harmony within the Trinity, the harmony within the Godhead, and Jesus laying out for us, he is there to accomplish the will, the desires of the Father. He's going to accomplish the desires of the Father. Now, we could say, I wonder what those desires are. Let me tell you, it's really easy. The desire of the Father is that Jesus would go to the cross, die for our sins, and be raised again. That is the Father's desire. Jesus, at the prayer at Gatshmone, Gethsemane, he says, he comes there and he says, nevertheless, not my will but because he's looking at the cross and he's saying I, I, he wants you to know that he as the scriptures declare endured the shame despised the shame but for the glory set before him he endured the cross right they were agreed now a force doesn't feel that a force doesn't want to express that a person does are you guys tracking with me? So Jesus wants us to understand the turmoil that, that is going on in him. Now, is he like me? The Bible says he's like me in all ways, yet he never sinned. So he's like me, but not like me, right? He can understand what it is to be me, but he doesn't have the failures that I have. But he has compassion, which is what I need most, right? Because I will, trust me, give me 10 minutes, I'll do something to make you not love me. <laughs> I, I, I have the unique ability to take somebody who loves me and make them so upset with me they don't want to love me 
anymore. I'm thankful that God's not like that. You guys ever had friends that were going to be friends forever and then one day, poop, they were gone? Then you know what I'm talking about. You had somebody who loved you and then they said, yeah, I don't love you no more. So, yeah, it's sad, but it's okay. Because God never does that. But he does use words like love. Does a force love you? You guys get what I'm saying? So this is how, this is the language that we need to use when we talk about Yahweh. Jesus is the judge. Now listen to what he says, verse 31. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. If I'm just making an assertion, <clears throat> I, I'm not backing it up with anything, it's not true. There is another who bears witness, who bears testimony about me. I love that last song we sang because that's what that last song is. That last song we sang is a testimony about what God has done in the person who wrote that song in their life. When I sing it, it's a testimony about what God has done in my life. When you sing it, it's a testimony about what God has done in your life. It is all of us ascribing worth and value to God for what he has done in our lives. That's why it's worship. So we, Jesus saying. Uh, there's a testimony that makes it true. It's not true just because I say it. So we're going to go through the, the testimony, the, the authentication of who Jesus is. When I, when I worked in the Marine Corps, I was a part of something called Transec. So we went around, well, I'm, I'm in old days in Marine Corps. Some of you were older days than me, but I was in old days. We didn't, there was no cell phones when I was in the military. I, no, you guys can't imagine such a thing. But there used to be life without cell phones. I remember thinking cell phones were such a good idea. Now I'm happy when I lose it. Oh, I lost my cell phone. Gosh. Usually Kathy's trying to call me when that happens. Anyway, transmission security did this. We, when we used to talk on radios, you didn't always know the person on the other end calling in the artillery strike was really who they said they were. So the other guy would say, authenticate. And he would give a code. And then the other guy would look down the chart on the other side of the radio and he would give the response to that code. If he didn't know the response, you didn't launch the artillery strike. Why? Because during Vietnam we had a tendency of blowing ourselves up. Because the Viet Cong would call in artillery strikes or airstrikes upon our own soldiers and they didn't authenticate the message. Jesus here is saying, look, I want to authenticate the things I'm telling you. I'm going to authenticate them so you know what I'm saying is true. So here's what he lays out. Uh, he says in, in, uh, in, in verse 32, there's another who bears witness about me. I know that the testimony he bears about me is true. Here we go. One, first witness, the witness of John. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony I receive is from man. Jesus is saying, look, I, I don't really care so much about what man says about me. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. I want you to know I'm the one that John was talking about. The first witness is John. He was a burning and shining lamp. He's not the source of light, right? The source of light is within him. What was the source of light within John? The Holy Spirit. The source of light. Jesus is going to say he is the Light of the world, right? So that you don't have to walk in darkness. The unity or harmony within the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is a light within John. John's the lamp, letting the light go out. So the light is going forward. <coughs> and they rejoiced in his light. 
the things that John taught, what did he teach? Repentance. Did they rejoice in repentance? Sure. Everyone around the world rejoices in repentance. Everyone around the world rejoices when a drug addict stops being a drug addict. Everybody around the world rejoices in the light for a time. And so this is what Jesus is saying. You guys all, <coughs> excuse me, came to the light of John and you were re willing to rejoice for a while in his light. You rejoiced there. You rejoiced in the words he said. You acknowledged the truth that he was declaring. But, he goes on, the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works, there's two parts here. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, one, the very works that I am doing, two. There's two things. Now Jesus is talking about his works. His works are authentication to who he said he is. The things he's doing. The, the miracles that John's going to focus on point that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the person who he said he was. And so he's laying out two things. The one the Father gave me to accomplish, that is redemption. Right? That's the cross, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. There was, when Jesus came, he came to die, right? Was there a chance when Jesus came, there was going to, all these people were going to receive him and everything was going to change and Jesus wasn't going to die? No. The purpose of the Father was that Jesus went to the cross. Right? I'm going to do the work, listen to how he says it, that the Father has given me to accomplish. When Jesus died, what did he say? It is finished. In Aramaic, he said, it is accomplished. The idea, it's all the same, right? It is done. What the Father gave me to do, the work the Father has given me to do, has been accomplished. And the works that I am doing. What were the works that he was doing? He was doing a variety of miracles, right? I'm just going to quickly go over two that Jesus does. But there are endless amounts. I literally could fill all your time with it. And the Sunday school people would be upset. So I'm trying not to do that. One. I'm going to give you an Old Testament reference. That references that only Yahweh... I choose Yahweh because it's the capital L-O-R-D, Tetragrammaton, the name of Yahweh. It's Yahweh's name. These are, these are works that are only ascribed to Yahweh that Jesus does. Right? You tracking with me? Psalm 107, 28 and 29. Then they cried out to Yahweh in their trouble. He delivered them from their distress. He, Yahweh, made the storm be still. You, you remember Jesus doing something like that, right? Mark chapter 4, right? They're in a storm. The disciples cry out, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? He awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea and said, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were freaked out. That's what that verse means, the next verse. They were filled with great fear, just like you would be. And they said, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? What did the psalm say? Who is he? The psalm said he is Yahweh. My works testify to who I am. Psalm 146 verse 8. Yahweh opens the eyes of the blind. 
Yahweh lifts up those who are bowed down. Yahweh loves the righteous. John chapter 9, Jesus comes upon a man who is born blind. What does he do? He gives him sight. His works testify to who he is. Who is he? Yahweh. Only Yahweh gives sight to the blind. What about the crippled man Jesus comes upon? And he unbows him. Who does that? Yahweh does that. His works testify to who he is. Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 61, they say this. I am the Lord. I have called you to righteousness. I am Yahweh. I have called you to righteousness. I will, <coughs> excuse me, take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant or a promise for the people, a light to the goyim, a light to the Gentiles, to open the eyes of the blind. Yahweh said, he's speaking to the son. I will give you. You will open the eyes of the blind, bring out the prisoners from the judgment, and from prison those who sit in deep darkness. The works of Jesus. The one he's going to accomplish, accomplish redemption through the cross and his resurrection and his ascension, right? The work that is finished, that bears witness to who he is and the works that he is doing right there before the people. Then in verse 37 he says, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. The Father has borne witness about me. You guys remember the baptism? Voice out of the heavens spoke, a spirit descended like a dove, and he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What about the transfiguration? Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John there. Jesus is transfigured before them. Peter says, oh my gosh, we should build three temples. You remember? And the father spoke from heaven, this is my son, listen to him, which is a nice way of saying, Peter, shut up. This is my son, listen to him. That's in Mark and Matthew, we have this. We have the idea of the father <laughs> has borne witness. Now listen to what he says to the Pharisees. Don't lose track of who he's talking to. He says to the Pharisees, his voice you have never heard. Now the reason Jesus says this was because if you had heard my father's voice, you would recognize my voice because my sheep hear my Voice, you've never heard the Father's voice. That's what he's saying to the religious leaders. You've never heard his form you have never seen. You've never seen the Father. Remember the Father's spirit. The Bible declares the Father is spirit. The only part of Yahweh that, or the only Yahweh that you see is the Son. Yahweh who became flesh. That's who we are able to. To see, he says, you've never seen my father and you do not have his word in you. Jesus can say that, why? Because earlier we read, they want to kill him. Jesus is going to say to them, you are of your father, the devil. You can't be of your father, the devil, and of your father, Yahweh, at the same time. You're one or the other. <clears throat> Jesus is saying, you're, you're, you are wolves dressed up as sheep. Right? You say you're a religious leader and you're gathered here looking for reasons to kill me. Jesus knows what is in their heart, yes? 
You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Jesus had already said, if you don't believe me, you don't believe the Father. If you believe the Father, you will believe me. You don't get one without the other. Like Father, like Son. Harmony. All one. So, Scripture goes on. Jesus says in verse 39, You search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. He said, you think you have eternal life because of what you think you know. But Jesus declares, it is they that bear witness of me. What is the next witness or testimony that authentication of who Jesus is? The word of God testifies to who Jesus is. The Old Testament prophets all prophesied about Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, you can still go to the, to the Western Wall in Israel today and argue with a rabbi, and he will say that Isaiah 53 is a prophecy about the nation Israel. And I will say Isaiah 53 has personal pronouns. How is Israel a person? A nation is a person? No, it's not. He bore our transgressions. He is Israel, but they search the scriptures. He can quote to me the whole book of Deuteronomy. That's nice. You search them and you think you have eternal life, but you don't have Jesus. You don't have eternal life, right? The word of God bears witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You refuse. Now, this is saying that there is a response that, is, uh, that could happen, right? You refuse. There is a refusal to come to Christ. You refuse to come to me that you may have life. He said, I do not receive glory from people. He doesn't care how much you like them. Doesn't matter. I don't receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If you have the love of the Father in you, you will love the Son. Like Father, like Son. If you love the Father, you will love me. I have come in my, I have come in my Father's name and you did not receive me. If another comes in his own name, this famous verse, right? Him you will receive. Who's the guy who comes in his own name? The Bible says that the one who will come in his own name is the Antichrist. Jesus comes saying, I am come in my Father's name, and they have rejected him. That rejection actually is for our benefit. He goes to the cross. He accomplishes salvation. But the scriptures tell us that there will come a day in the nation of Israel when they will accept a leader who comes in his own name. Anti means pseudo, the pseudo Christ, the pretend Christ, the wannabe Messiah, the wannabe world leader who can turn all things around, which is kind of world, looking in our world and all the chaos everywhere right now. What an incredible place for somebody to stand up and say, I got, I got an answer. Oh. <laughs> Jesus said, one will come in his own name, him you will receive. How? Can you believe when you have received glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from God? This is their problem. What was the problem of the religious right? They only wanted to know, they only wanted to receive glory from one another. I just want you to think I'm smart. 
The Bible says you can either be a man pleaser or a God pleaser. Which one do you want to be? A man pleaser receives glory from man. Man gives you accolades. Man tells you how great you are. And that will satisfy you here. But it will not satisfy you when you stand before the Son of Man in judgment. When you stand before the Son of Man, you will want to have received the glory that God gives. What's the glory that God gives? Salvation. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Received through Jesus Christ in the sacrifice that he had come to do. Jesus says, you guys just want everybody to think how smart you are. But you don't really care about what's real. We have to watch out for that trap, right? That's a trap. That's, that trap still exists today, no? Yeah, how many times do you look to see how many thumbs up you got on a post? Sometimes... Sometimes we don't want to post at all or say anything at all, right? Because, man, I will unleash the hounds of the keyboard warrior. (laughs) They will leap upon me and leave nothing but scraps. We want to receive a glory from the Father. Jesus said in, in John, in John 10, verse 25, he said, I told you and you do not believe me. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. I've been telling you who I am. You don't want me. Light came, but men rejected the light because they agape the dark. Men loved the darkness. Why? Because their deeds are evil. Man wants to stay in his sin. So... Jesus said, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, first five books of the Bible, on whom you have set your hope. That's the law. You think that the law is going to save you. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. (coughs) But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 18, here's what Moses said said about Jesus. They actually knew this prophecy. They asked John the Baptist if he was this guy. Jesus is saying to them, now I'm that guy. But they want to kill him. It says, the Lord your God, Yahweh, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me, like Moses from among you, from your brethren. He will be a Jew. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see his great fire anymore lest I die. We can't handle God's voice. So we want somebody else to speak to us. There will come one who will speak to you. The Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my word in his mouth and he will speak to them all that I tell him to speak. What did Jesus say? I say only the things my father tells me to say. I do the things only my... Who is he declaring himself to be? I'm the prophet. Who was the prophet? The one who would speak to them in a way that didn't scare them so bad. Like God's voice. 
when God spoke at Mount Sinai and delivered the Ten Commandments and the people quaked. Oh, Lord, we can't take it anymore. Moses, you go talk to God. You remember? Moses goes up and talks to God. Then God says to Moses after a few days, hey, Moses, you got to go back down there. I'm, I'm done with them. Moses is thinking, how bad could it be, Lord? What possibly could they have? I've only been up here a few days. How much trouble could they get in? The Lord says, I'm just going to start over. (laughs) This is a Jackie paraphrase. You go back and read it. I'm going to start over. Moses says, no, Lord, forgive them. Moses intercedes for the people. And and so the Lord says, okay, you still got to go down there. So Moses walks down with the Ten Commandments. The people are naked, dancing around a golden calf, proclaiming that the golden calf is their God. That's right. Moses picks up that, Moses picks up that, the Ten Commandments and does what to him? Breaks them. And then he says, you, how could you get in this much trouble? I was not gone that long. And then there's a series of events that takes place, Right? Here we have the the culmination of that promise. The Lord said, I'm going to send a prophet to you who will speak you the words that I give him to say. And if you don't listen to him, it will be required of you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the no man comes to the Father except through. There's only one way by which man must be saved. There's only one name under heaven by which men must be saved. The name is Jesus Christ, the divine son. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for the proclamation that you give us in Scripture. Lord, I pray that we may know and understand. I, I, I get it that <clears throat> Yahweh is transcendent. He's bigger than us. He's, he knows more than us. Our language is limited. Our understanding is limited. We don't have all knowledge. We don't understand all mysteries. But Lord, you declare that one day we'll see your face. Now we look through a glass dimly, but then we will know like you know us. So God, we just want to be able to comprehend with all the saints the love of God which has shown us in Christ Jesus our Lord. We want to understand you and recognize you. And John gave us John chapter 5 to show us the fight between the religious people and Jesus to declare that they didn't want to know God. They didn't have God in their heart. They, they were just looking for the accolades of, accolades of the people that the people would think they were great and awesome and wonderful. But here Jesus is, as the prophet, speaking to them words of life. Now the point is not that they would stop the crucifixion. He came to die. The point is that after he was raised from the dead, they may be convicted in their hearts. Jesus is sowing seeds now that will bring a harvest on the day of Pentecost. When Peter cries out, this is the Jesus that you crucified, that you killed, that you buried, and he is risen from the dead. And they said, what must we do? And Peter declared, repent and believe. 
and they came to Jesus in flocks. The same voices who had cursed him, the same men who had said, we will not have this man to rule over us, the same who spit at him and pulled out his beard, they came to him in droves and said, forgive us. And he did, because that's what he came to do. The divine son, the son of God, the last king over the greatest kingdom. The divine son, the son of man, that final judge. And our great God and savior who provided forgiveness for all who will repent and believe. So, Lord Jesus, we praise you. We thank you for what you have done, for what you have wrought. We give glory, value, worthiness to you, O Lord God. And I pray in this place, if there are those who have not bowed the knee, that you would turn from being your own savior turn from the ideas that you will uh, outweigh your bad deeds with your good turn that's what repentance means change your mind and turn to Jesus Christ who is calling you who are dead in your trespasses and sin to live in him God we pray that your spirit moves in this place as we give you praise in Jesus' name, amen.